Welcome to To Every Generation, the broadcast ministry of Calvary Chapel Crossfields, located in Jamesburg, New Jersey, where we teach through the entire Bible, verse by verse, and make application to every generation so we can grow in our relationship with God. Good to see everybody tonight. If you could open up your Bibles to Acts chapter 21. Title of tonight's message is The Will of the Lord Be Done. And one of the things is, I think in each of our individual lives, no matter what we're going through, circumstances and adversary, adversary always show us where our will is compared to where the Lord's is. How much we really give it to the Lord and how much we try to hold on to. So let's take a look at Acts chapter 21, beginning with uh, verse 1. Now it came to pass that when we had departed from them and set sail... Running a straight course, we came to Kos. The following day to Rhodes, and from there to Patera. And finding a ship sailing over to Phoenicia, we went aboard and set sail. When we had sighted Cyprus, we passed it on the left, sailed to Syria, and landed at Tyre. For there the ship was to unload her cargo. So if you take a look up on the map, when we finished last time, Paul was right here on Miletus. And he had prayed, if you remember, they kneeled down in the sand and they prayed because this was the last time they were going to see Paul. And they knew it was the last time. They were never going to see him on this planet again. So it was a very hard thing for Paul and his companions to break away from these beloved saints. But when they left Miletus, they traveled down to Coes, and then they went to Rhodes, which was about 30 to 40 miles, and then they went over to Patera, another 20 to 30, 35 miles. Then they went down They passed Cyprus, they didn't stay there, and they came over here to Syria and to Tyre. Now Tyre is in Lebanon, that's still there today. So some of the uh, fire, the rockets that are going into northern Israel are coming right from Lebanon, which is the southern part of Lebanon, which is just below Tyre. So you can see the journey that Paul took. Now the distance from Patera to Tyre is about 400 miles. So it's a journey. And we're looking now as we enter Acts 21, the last seven chapters of Acts 21 are the last five years of Paul's life. He's going to be martyred and killed 
within five years. So up to this point, six of the prison epistles have been written by Paul. He has eight left, and those will be written in the last couple years of his life from Rome. This is the end of his third missionary journey. He has traveled 8,000 miles by boat and 7,000 miles by foot or by horse. What a journey. Um, Paul was called. He had a purpose. He showed persistence. He showed perseverance. And he showed what prayer does in the life of a believer. So as we go to verse 4, we're going to read verses 4 to 7. And finding disciples, we stayed there seven days. They told Paul through the Spirit not to go up to Jerusalem. When we had come to the end of those days, we departed and went on our way, and they all accompanied us with wives and children till we were out of the city. And when we knelt down on the shore and prayed, when we had taken our leave of one another, we boarded the ship, and they returned home. And when we had finished our voyage from Tyre, we came to Potomias, or Tomlyice is actually the pronunciation, Tomlyice, greeted the brethren and stayed with them one day. Just thinking at this time, you know how when you come to church on a Wednesday or a Sunday, or you might go to a conference, or you might have a home Bible study, or you just meet someone that you know and you talk to them and maybe pray with them or talk scripture with them. I was thinking on how on a grander scale we see in the Acts of the Apostles this happening. And when they stayed a day or a week, can you imagine what they talked about? Can you imagine? Because everything was, was so fresh. The church had just started about 26 years previous to where we are tonight. About 26 years. And Paul had been a Christian about 22 or 23 years. And some of the people he's going to meet tonight were his adversaries, were people he was hunting down. In Acts 20, 20, uh, Acts 20, verses 22 to 24, it says, And see, now I go bound in the Spirit to Jerusalem, not knowing the things that will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies in every city, saying that chains and tribulations await me. But none of these things move me, nor do I count my life dear to myself, so that I may finish my race with joy and the ministry which I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. Now when Paul, in verse 4, where he says he found disciples, the original translation is he sought out, he hunted down, he wanted to find like-minded people. And that's always a great thing for you and I. 
We might go on a trip. We might go on a vacation. And we should be seeking out people of like-mindedness and like spirit because they're out there. They're there. Sometimes you might run right into them in your neighborhood or in a shopping mall or a, you know, a stopping shop. You might just meet, meet them. And it's not a, um, a meeting of coincidence. Yesterday I went into a gym and a guy I haven't seen in about five or six years was coming out. And, he, and we sat down and we talked for about a half an hour. We talked about general things. We talked about things of the Lord. We ended up praying. And he goes, you know, his name was Vinny too. So he goes, you know, Vin, I was, fell very down today. And the Lord made us meet. It just picked up my spirit. So these are, there's no coincidences, are there, in God's world. Everything's a divine appointment. But I know myself, how many times do I miss those divine appointments? That I don't see them, I don't recognize them. So I pray for me and for you that we're more sensitive to the leading of the Holy Spirit in those situations that could come up tonight or sometime tomorrow. In Matthew 11... Uh, verse 21, Jesus mentions tear. He mentions that. He went there. He, he cast out a demon from a Phoenician girl. Phoenicia and Tyre, the same area. In Ezekiel 28, it describes the rise and fall of Satan using the prince of Tyre and the king of Tyre saying that the prince of Tyre was Satan and he was behind the power, the king of Tyre. I think we all can agree that there's an epidemic in our country and in our world that people are not responding to the voice of God. They're not looking for God's direction. They're ignorant of his word. And that can describe many people throughout the churches in the world. Hopefully that does not include you. That you're someone who wants to be a student of the word. That you get into God's word. In Luke 6.17 it says, People came from Tyre to Israel to listen and be healed by Jesus. So they would travel from Tyre down into Israel. Because they... they heard what Jesus did in Phoenicia, which was in the area of Tyre. And they wanted to know more. There was a void in their lives. They, they were called to see this. And many became saved as a result of this. In Matthew 10, verses 11 to 15, Jesus said, Now whatever city or town you enter, inquire who in it is worthy. And stay there. Till you go out, and when you go into a household, greet it. If the household is worthy, let your peace come upon it. But if it's not worthy, let your peace return to you. And whoever will not receive you nor hear your words, when you depart from that house or city, shake off the dust from your feet. Assuredly, I say to you, it will be more tolerable for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah in the day of judgment than for that city. And I think of hospitality. 
I think of people being friendly to one another, where you have people over for dinner, and you might have even had people over to sleep over your house for a few nights. You know, I think we just found out in a couple months, um, Milad Curie will be here from Israel. And I know last time, um, Dan uh, put him up at his house for three or four days. So that kind of thing where there's a like-minded spirit and you just gravitate towards each other. We're thinking, how many times have you met someone you might not have seen in 20 years that's a believer in Jesus? And it's like you just picked up where you left off. You know, that's just, that's just God working in the hearts of his sons and daughters. Verse 8 of Acts 21. On the next day, we who were Paul's companions departed and came to Caesarea and entered the house of Philip the evangelist, who was one of the seven and stayed with him. Now, I don't know if you remember Philip, but Philip was one of those seven Hellenistic Jews back early in um, Acts, book, beginning of the book of Acts. And he was a good friend of Stephen, who was the first Christian martyr, who Paul held, held the cloaks, remember, while he consented as Stephen was being stoned to death. So picture yourself in either one of the situations as either Philip or Paul. And what was that knock on the door like? And when Philip opened it, here is Saul of Tarsus, now Paul. For the first time you've seen him in over 20 years. So before we go on, I think in my own life, and I'm sure you can think right now, of maybe someone that you have a you're angry with, maybe you haven't forgiven them. Maybe you have forgiven them, and you know the peace and joy you have as a result of that of letting go that anger and bitterness. What was Paul thinking as he traveled? Like he knew he got so many people didn't want him to go to Jerusalem. He was being warned. But he had a purpose. He knew he had to go to Jerusalem. Just like Jesus knew. He had a purpose to go to Samaria to meet that one woman at the well. Just that one person. Because most Jews, what? They went around Samaria. They wouldn't go through there. But here is Paul wanting to go to Jerusalem even though he knew trouble awaited him. But when he knocked on Philip's door, what was Paul thinking? Paul, over the past 20 years, knew the change that God brought in his life. Do you? Do I? Have we seen what God has done in our hearts, in our minds, of how we look at things? Well, Paul knocks, and I'm sure one of the things Paul, he wrote it down in one of his epistles, I'm a new creature in Christ. The old me isn't there anymore. The new me is there that Jesus created. I hope Philip is at the same point that I am. 
And we're going to see what happened here. Now, Philip is described as the evangelist. In Ephesians 4, verses 11 and 12, it says, And he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints, for the work of ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. An evangelist preaches the gospel of salvation in Jesus Christ. And you might have that gift. Or there might be times that you're called to preach the gospel of salvation in Jesus Christ. In Ephesians 4, which I just read, it's up to Jesus to appoint the different offices and bestow those gifts on people. Chuck Smith, who God used to start the Calvary Chapel movement, in his, one of his uh, writings titled The Purpose of the Church, quoting on Ephesians 4, verses 11 and 12, says this, For years, in the early part of my ministry, most of my sermons were evangelistic sermons because I believe that the primary purpose of the church was to evangelize the world. It was only when I began a careful study of Ephesians and read these verses that I came to the conclusion that the purpose of the church is not to evangelize the world, but to equip the saints, that's you, for the work of ministry to build up the body of Christ. The problem with evangelistic messages is that they don't help the people to grow and mature. I kept church members in a state of perpetual infancy by preaching the same basic sermons to them over and over again and not taking them on into the maturity in Christ. I have discovered that the real need in the church is solid, systematic, expository teaching of the scriptures. That is what leads to spiritual growth in the people and equips them to go out and do the work of the ministry. If I do my job, all those who listen and learn will then go out and evangelize and minister in many other ways, which will lead to the body of Christ being built up. It just works. And Chuck Smith has talked about many times how he would be in a church for a couple of years and he would have to leave because all his sermons he used. But it wasn't until he did the verse-by-verse teaching that he saw the body of Christ just grow. And if you've been around just verse-by-verse teaching, you know what I mean. I remember my first exposure for my first year in a Calvary Chapel in Old Bridge. After one year, I learned more about God than in my previous 28 years. That's crazy. Because it just works. Just, sit, just allowing God's Word to enter your mind, but more importantly, enter your heart. A lot of things take place. I want to just go back real quick to one th- a couple things here. Talked about wherever you go, seek out like-minded believers. I think of the Bible studies, conferences, new believers classes, apologetic classes, prophecy nights, women's, 
um, meetings, men's meetings, book club, food for the soul, various outreaches, different ministry opportunities, how God has just blessed. And we saw it, I think, uh, Janet, you and I were talking at uh, the luncheon, just to look around at all the people involved in ministry, just given of themselves and how healthy and special that is. We are a family. And just like any family, we always don't get along, but one thing we should be doing is praying for one another, interacting with one another, loving one another, and just be amazed how God uses each and every individual. I want to encourage you and myself, pray together anywhere. Fulfill your ministry wherever it may be. Go home with a new and, uh, or a renewed mission. Whatever God is putting on your heart, act on it. Like Paul, finish your race with joy and the ministry which you receive from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. That's really, that's it. Just do the ministry that God calls you to do. And there's no ministry too little or too big. There isn't. The highest ministry you can have is to answer the call of Jesus Christ in your life. Don't compare yourselves with others. Don't do that. That's, a, that's like a fleshly perspective. Just look at it through the eyes of God. Whatever he gives you, with everything good comes from above. When he blesses you and you can have a ministry, anything you do, right? Even giving a glass of cold water to somebody is ministering unto the Lord. In Acts chapter 6, verse 3, talking about Philip a little more before we learn a little more about his uh, daughters. It says, Therefore, brethren, seek out from among you seven men of good reputation, but watch the characteristics of these guys, the same characteristics that should be in you and in me. People of good reputation, full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom, with whom we may appoint over this business. So whatever God's calling you to do, he equips you. Colossians 3, 17 says, And whatever you do, in word or in deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Acts chapter 8, verses 5 to 8. Then Philip, the same Philip, went down to the city of Samaria and preached Christ to them. And the multitudes with one accord heeded the things spoken by Philip, hearing and seeing the miracles which he did. For unclean spirits, crying with a loud voice, came out of many who were possessed, and many who were paralyzed, and lame were healed, and there was a great joy in that city. There's a lot of people possessed or oppressed by demonic spirits today. It's very blatant in our world. We see it. Pray. You might be the very person that when that person meets you, 
that you're the one God uses to free them from what's holding them in bondage. Whatever that sin is, addiction is, whatever that demonic hold is in their lives. I believe that God's stirring up you and me for this time, for what's going on in our world. He needs his army of men and women, boys and girls, teenagers, to be ready with the love of Christ and the gospel of Jesus Christ. So let's take a look in the next section of how this meeting went between Paul and Philip. So we're going to pick up in Acts 21, verse 9. Now this man had four virgin daughters who prophesied. And as we stayed many days, a certain prophet named Agabus came down from Judea. When he had come to us, he took Paul's belt, bound his own hands and feet, and said, Thus says the Holy Spirit, So shall the Jews at Jerusalem bind the man who owns this belt and deliver him into the hands of the Gentiles. Now we had looked about 10 minutes ago to Acts 20:23, 20, And I won't go through it again, but I'm going to point out some highlights of that Acts 20 to 23 where Paul is saying, when people are trying to stop him from going to Jerusalem, he's saying, hey, now, I'm going bound in the Spirit to Jerusalem. I'm going. doesn't matter what you say. God is calling me there. He didn't know what was going to take place, but he still was going. And he knew that the Holy Spirit, wherever he went, testified in every city that chains and tribulations awaited him. But none of those warnings moved him. Why? Because he didn't count his life dear to himself. Remember John the Baptist? I want to become less and I want him to become more. That's you and me. We want less of us. We want to be crucified. Total. So that God lives in and through us. And then Paul went on to say, I want to finish my race with exhaustion and trepidation. No, he didn't say that. He said, I want to finish my race with joy. And that ministry that God has given me, I want to use it and testify to the good news of the salvation that is in Jesus Christ. How much of an impact did it make on Paul to be confronted one-on-one with Jesus Christ? Well, we see over 20 years later and over 15,000 miles later and over so many beatings and imprisonments and hardships, it didn't slow the man down. Why? Because he was in tune with his Savior. He was allowing God's Holy Spirit to work in and through Him, that same Holy Spirit that's in each of you if you're a born-again believer. Now, I want to go back and look at these, why did they say these four virgin daughters who prophesied? And how did it go, the meeting with Philip and Paul? 
Well, if it didn't go well, he would have been leaving the same day or the next morning. But notice what it says. He stayed many days. Can you imagine what that many days was as far as what took place? Here was the guy who killed his buddy. He was the man that caused Philip and so many of his friends to scatter, to leave Jerusalem because of persecution. This is the same Philip who ran and caught up to the chariot with the Ethiopian eunuch who was reading the book of Isaiah and didn't know what he was reading. And Philip says, do you understand? He goes, well, how do I understand it unless somebody tells me? So Philip explains the scriptures to him. And when he's, done, when he's done, the eunuch says, can I be baptized? And they have some water. There's some water right there. No coincidence. There's water there. They go down out of the chariot. They go, he baptizes the Ethiopian eunuch. And then he disappears. He ends up somewhere in Samaria. Cast out demons. Gives the good news. People are converted. Ends up in Caesarea where, you know, he settles down and where Paul is right now, which is about 65 miles from Jerusalem where he's heading for the Feast of Pentecost, the birth of the church. He wants to get there, if you remember last time. That was his goal, to get to Jerusalem to celebrate the Feast of Pentecost. Four virgin daughters. They think these girls were anywhere from 16 or younger. Four virgin girls living in a culture where there weren't a lot of virgin girls. There were pagan temples. There were temple prostitutes. There was promiscuity. If you still have daughters at home or sons, pray for them. Pray for their purity. Pray that they stay virgins till that day they meet the one God has put out there. And if they've blown it, or you've blown it, or I've blown it, as far as our purity, remember, we're new creatures in Christ. The old is gone. Jesus died for our sins. Our sins are as far as the east is from the west. If you're struggling with purity, find an accountability partner of the same sex. Pray with them. Spend time with them. It's important, especially in a culture that just pumps sex, 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 sex. Verse 12 of Acts 21. Now when we heard these things, both we and those from that place pleaded with him not to go up to Jerusalem. So what did they just heard? Agabus, the prophet, another prophet that was visiting, said don't go to Jerusalem. Well, he didn't say that. He, didn't, he never said not to go to Jerusalem, but he did tell what was going to be there waiting for him. And I think this is a good time to hit this right here. Prophets and prophecy. 
Prophets speak by divine inspiration from God. But remember, there are real prophets and there are false prophets. An example of a false prophet would be like a Notre Dame or a Gene Dixon, if some of you um, more mature, older Christians remember Gene Dixon. They could predict the future events, especially those events pertaining to the kingdom of God. There were also teachers. They would refute. They would prove wrong things that were being said and explain why. They would reprove or reprimand. They would admonish or warn people of things. And they would comfort others. And then here the response to verse 12 is Paul saying in verse 13 of Acts 21, then Paul answered, what do you mean by weeping and breaking my heart? For I am ready not only to be bound, but also to die at Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. Paul wrote in Romans 8, 35 to 37, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are killed all day long. We are counted as sheep for the slaughter. Yet in all things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death nor life nor angels nor principalities nor powers nor things present nor things to come nor height nor depth nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Now think what Paul just shared to the Romans. That was based on his whole life as a believer. He knew that no matter what he went through, the trials, the sickness, the persecution, the beatings, the imprisonment, that nothing separated him from the love of God. Hopefully you're there in your journey. If not, you'll get there. God loves you that much that he'll get you to that place he needs you to be. In 2 Corinthians 4, 16 to 17, it says, Therefore we do not lose heart, even though our outward man is perishing, yet the inward man is being renewed day by day. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, is working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. Now Paul's doing now. He's in glory. It was just a momentary affliction, that light affliction now, as he looks back. As we wrap up tonight, verse 14, so when he would not be persuaded, we ceased, saying, the will of the Lord be done. Wow. Wow. The will of the Lord be done. They tried. They loved Paul so much. They knew he had so much to offer as a man of God. But like John the Baptist, there's a moment of time we have 
to make an impact for Jesus. There's a moment of time we have to make an impact on the kingdom. Let's not waste our time. Let's be in tune with Jesus and his word, the word of God. Let our faith continue to grow and get stronger and stronger. Let us heed the call of the Holy Spirit, what he's showing you to do. And then act on it. Our time is short in the realm of eternity. There are so many saints that have gone before us. Not by my will, not my will, but your will be done. Let's pray. Dear Jesus, we thank you for tonight. And Lord, we are here tonight to grow in the grace and knowledge of you. We're here tonight, Lord, to be built up for works of ministry. If there is anybody here tonight that says, well, I'm not sure what my ministry is, Lord, I pray that you will make that very clear to them. That they would even ask one of the pastors, hey, pastor, what do you think my ministry is? I pray for anybody here who has been just swamped because you're in your own will. I pray that you would just put your will at the foot of the cross again and allow Jesus to wash afresh over you by the power of his Holy Spirit and that he would just give you that new direction, new purpose, and that you would be persistent and persevering with him and not look back, but just look forward. And finally, I just pray that if there's anybody here or online who does not know you as Lord and Savior, that they will want to receive you into their hearts today. The greatest decision anybody could make is just ask Jesus into their heart. So if you want to do that, just say these words after me. Dear Jesus, I know that I am a sinner. I know that I have been following my will for most of my life. Lord, I know you came down to die on the cross for sinners like me. Thank you. Lord, I want to turn from my ways and my will and follow you and your will. Fill me with your precious Holy Spirit. And I ask this in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. If you said that, welcome to the family of God. If you're here, we'll give you a Bible to get you started. If you're at home, just call the, or, uh, yeah, call the number on the screen. And we'll mail information to you. So God bless you and let's keep running the race with joy, perseverance, persistence. Amen. You've been listening to To Every Generation from Calvary Chapel Crossfields. We meet for Bible study Wednesdays at 7 p.m. And Sunday service begins at 10.30 a.m. On Sundays, we have children's church for all ages, in addition to infant and nursery care. You can find out more about the ministry here at Calvary Chapel Crossfields by going to www.cccrossfields.org, where you can also watch or listen to previous messages. If you have any questions or have a prayer request, please email us at contact at cccrossfields.org. Thanks for listening, and may God bless.